stressful, full of anxiety, exhausted, chaotic. Um, these are words I've heard and even used in th these last few months to describe what's happening in the world. Um, we have a pandemic which seems to be coming in waves, then we have a contentious election season which we thought would be over in early November but is still kind of dragging itself out a little bit. Um, and so there's, that's just like bit two big events in the world. That doesn't include um, everything else that we've had to adjust since March of parents homeschooling kids and people working from home and all of our schedules essentially being disrupted in our usual routines. And so everything has been just a little bit crazy um, recently. And so this morning, we're actually going to look at two chaotic situations where things seem to be out of control and we're going to see how Jesus responds in those situations, and then how we see what he does gives us hope and strength to keep moving forward as disciples. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, and then into chapter 5 this morning. It's page 891 in your pew Bible, if you're looking here, if you're following along um, with the Version app, it's right there for you. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to read this together. It says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, and so that, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had been torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, Send us to the pigs, so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs, and then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. So we're going to walk back through these stories to see how Jesus essentially brings calm out of the chaos. And so first we see that Jesus has the power to calm the storm. So he's finished teaching, which we just covered the last couple of weeks of him teaching parables. Um, He's been teaching all day, and he says, hey, let's go to the other side. And on the way, a storm comes. Uh, This was not unusual. Um, The sea uh, that they are on is about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by hills. And so the weather in that area, the wind would come, and then it would rush down and create storms out of nowhere. Um, And just to give you an idea, the size of the boat, um, the boat was about 27 feet long, held about 15 people. So sometimes when I visualize this story, I picture like a tiny boat. Um, This was actually a decent sized boat, so it's not something that's easily going to sink. Um, And so the storm shows up and then it tells us kind of what's happening inside the boat. First, Jesus is sleeping. Um, He is tired from teaching. Um, I know that I only teach on Sunday mornings for about 30 minutes, but when I am finished, I am pretty tired. Um, And I like to take a nap on Sunday afternoons, as most of you do, but I am exhausted from teaching, and that's just 30 minutes. Jesus has essentially been teaching all day, right? This is another clue that kind of helps us to understand Jesus' humanity. He wasn't fully divine, but fully human and fully divine, and so he did experience being tired. So he had been teaching all day, but I want us to to be clear here. Jesus wasn't sleeping because he didn't care what was going to happen to the disciples. He wasn't necessarily leaving them on their own to fend for themselves. Um, As an aside, these are, most of these guys are fishermen. So they have been on this sea. They have been in storms. They know what to do in this situation. What he was really doing is just putting his trust and confidence in the sovereignty of God. He was trusting that God was going to care for him and for them. And so Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples are basically freaking out, right? Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? The water is coming into the boat. We're starting to sink. This is not going to end well. How can you be sleeping? And so they're full of panic. They're full of distrust, even rebuke, right? They're rebuking Jesus. Don't you care about us? Aren't you paying attention? We're in real trouble here. They feel a little bit forsaken. And I think sometimes we feel exactly the same way. And we say almost the same thing. God, don't you care about what's happening to me right now? I've been sick for too long. Do you still care? My family is a disaster. There's anger. There's broken relationships. My church feels like it's stuck. I'm in constant pain. My kids aren't keeping up at school. My parents are always on me for the same things. And so we say in those moments, God, where are you? Do you even know what's going on? Are you paying attention? I'm dying down here. Where are you? And the disciples feel like they're in the same 
place. And here's why I think the disciples feel this way, and we're going to come back to some of those um, and kind of the answer to what, what, what we do when we're feeling that way. I know I left you hanging right there. Usually I give you like the answer of how to have hope, but it's coming at the end, so just hang in there. Um, the disciples, I think, have a lack of faith in God's power. They sort of understand who Jesus is and what they've seen, um, but not fully. And I also think in the moment, they've forgotten all of the things that they've seen Jesus do so far. They've forgotten that he's healed people. They've forgotten that he teaches with power and authority, that he's done all of these miracles. And I think just in the moment, they just forgot, and they're just scared. And so he asks them, he wakes up, he calms the storm, he says, silence, be still, and just for fun, just know that the language that he uses there is the same language you would use for an exorcism, which is what we're see- we saw in the second thing. So essentially, he's saying similar things to the storm and to the demon-possessed man. And so we see the words here. It says, essentially, from the great storm comes a great calm, is the, the words in Greek. Great storm and then great calm once Jesus calms the storm. And he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you fearful? I'm here with you, right? Do you still have no faith? I think the word still is something to consider there. Do you still have no faith, right? Because they've seen Jesus heal, they've seen him teach, they've seen him cast out demons, but they still don't quite know who he really is and what he's really capable of. Um, in their defense a little bit, the natural element, elements in this time, like a storm, were seen as absolutely uncontrollable. So someone calming a storm would be a bigger deal than somebody casting out a demon or healing someone. Those are things that their minds could grasp and, and understand, but when it came to calming nature, they just felt like that was something too far for anyone. But you would think that they had seen and heard enough along the way. They've seen Jesus' power. They were actually chosen by him to follow him. They were given the mystery of the kingdom when he explains the parables. They were insiders. And the parable right before this, remember the farmer was sleeping and the seed still grew, showing that God was working even while they were sleeping. And here we have Jesus sleeping on a boat and saying, why are you worried? right? There's definitely a connection there to the parable before this. But they've forgotten what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've learned. And they didn't quite understand Jesus' real power, even though they had seen a lot from them. And I think they probably weren't expecting the question that Jesus asked them, which Jesus is great at asking questions that just get right to the heart of things. I don't think they expected him to say, why are you afraid, right? In the middle of the storm, when your boat is sinking, everybody on the planet is essentially go, this is a good time to be afraid. It's a good time to be fearful for your life. But Jesus says, why are you afraid? But I think it's because, really, we talk about in Mark the, the journey of discipleship, of being a disciple. And I think the center of discipleship is actually right here. What they wanted was him just to do something for them, just stop the storm. And what he wanted was for them to trust him, to understand that his presence with them was all that they needed to survive, right? And I think that's where we sometimes get into trouble with discipleship. We want, just want God to do stuff for us, just solve this problem, make it easier, do these things. But what he really wants from us is to be able to trust him, 
So even if we never get any of those things, we can still make it through. And so we see the response of the disciples after he does this and after he asks this question. And it says they're terrified. And the the word here for terrified kind of combined together is actually great fear. And so we had a great storm and then we had great calm and now we have great fear. Um, And they ask the question, who is this? Then who is this guy that we've been following around? See, they were following, but they didn't really understand yet. This new display of power made them question who Jesus really was. They may have thought they knew, or they had some assumptions about what he was supposed to do, but now they are afraid. And the fact that it says great fear here about Jesus and not for the storm means they are more afraid of Jesus in this moment than they were of the storm that was about to kill them. That's how powerful they think Jesus is all of a sudden is. He's more scary than a storm that is going to sink my boat. That's the power of Jesus that they're kind of experiencing. And so they, who Jesus was, they didn't quite understand, at least not yet. And so then they get to the other side, and we see here that Jesus has the power to calm the chaos. They get to the other side, um, a man approaches them, um, it says he has an unclean spirit, and essentially verses 3 through 5, they're kind of an aside telling us all about this man so we can understand what's really going on with him. Um, he's a little crazy, he's a little dangerous, and notice it says twice, once in verse 3 and once in verse 4, that he cannot be restrained. The chains can't hold him, and no one is strong enough to subdue him. He cannot be. So twice in two verses, hence, he's very powerful, he's very uncontrollable, similar to the storm. It's powerful and uncontrollable. And so he sees Jesus come, he runs up, he kneels before him, and then he speaks to him. And he says, what do you have to do with me? And so this outburst that we actually have seen before is essentially saying, why are you bothering me? Just leave me alone. And then he calls him by name, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And remember, just like four verses ago, the disciples who traveled with Jesus were going, who is this? Who is this guy that we're traveling with? And then this demon-possessed man, five verses later, says, it's Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. So even though the disciples are struggling with this question, these guys or demons seem to have the answer. And calling him by name is actually a significant thing in this time because it, when you use someone's name, it's actually a way to try to gain control over someone else. Um, think of it like when... Most of you are grandparents now, but you guys will understand this. When you use your children's full name, that's kind of what it's like, right? When you hear your full name, you know, I need to pay attention, I need to stop whatever I'm doing, and I need to figure out what's going on. That's the equivalent, sort of the equivalent to this is they've used Jesus' full name, like we, you need to stop, you need to listen, we're in authority. Or I think it's also kind of like naming a fear, or something that we're struggling with, once we actually put a name on it, or we label it, or we discover what it is, then all of a sudden the power that it has over us seems to disappear, right? And so he's calling his name to try to gain power over him. And then he says, don't torment me, or don't torture me. 
They're, they essentially recognize they're in the presence of the one who is a threat to their existence. He can end them at any point. And then it tells us kind of earlier, kind of a flashback, Jesus has already commanded them to come out, right? Silence, come out of him, is what it says. And then there's a back and forth, which I kind of saw as sort of a negotiation, right? Hey, let's not just destroy us, and let's not send us out, maybe we can do this. So he starts with, what's your name? They say, our name is Legion because we are many. Um, in this time, a legion of soldiers was 6,000. And so, I don't know if there's specifically 6,000 demons in this guy, but they're saying there's a lot. Um, We see that later because 2,000 pigs are possessed also. And then they ask, can we stay in the region? And I don't have a real answer for why they wanted to stay where they were. Um, Some people said they were afraid of being disembodied, and so they were just kind of out there and weren't able to do what they were supposed to be. Or maybe there were demons that were in control of certain regions, but that's not a super important point um, in the thing of the story. Just kind of, hey, just let us stay where we are. And then Jesus sends them out into the pigs, essentially gives them permission, right? And then the pigs run off the bank and into the water, and they drown. And then we see the responses to what has just happened. The people begin to go and tell in the town what has happened. And we see that Jesus has calmed the powerful, uncontrollable man. When they come back to him, he is dressed, he is calm, he is thinking correctly, he is talking correctly, he is acting correctly. Jesus' power has completely transformed him. And then we get to the people Right? The people respond in fear, right? Similar to the disciples, they responded in fear as well. The people want Jesus to leave. Somehow his power scared them, right? In the storm, we saw the disciples respond in fear and the people are doing the same thing. It seems they are more comfortable being around an uncontrollable demon-possessed man than they are to be around Jesus similar to what we've seen. But the question I had is, why? Why are they so afraid of Jesus? I think one, which is we talked about with the disciples, they recognized that a mighty force was at work in Jesus, and they could neither understand nor control it. And if it destroyed an entire herd of pigs, might this happen again if he is this powerful? What else is he going to do in our town? So we just need him to go away so everything can be normal. And I think there's a little bit of, hey, I was raising 2,000 pigs and that was probably a lot of money and now I just lost out on all of it. So I'd rather have money than have Jesus. And so that was the people's response. And now we see the man's response in verses 18 through 20. They're getting into the boat and the man says, well, can't I just go with you? Can't I stay with you? Right? A complete contrast from the people. He wants to go with Jesus. He wants to join the disciples. He wants to follow Jesus. We've been seeing for several weeks this concept of receiving and rejecting the word. That when people encounter him, they either reject him or they receive him. And so when the people encounter Jesus, they reject him and his message But with the man, we see he receives it, and he wants to follow. 
This is like a real-life example of the parables he's been saying of, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? The demon-possessed man has heard, the people have not. And then Jesus responds to him, and if you've been following us through Mark, what he says to him is a little bit of a surprise, because he says, you can't come, but then he says, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And up until now, we've seen Jesus over and over again call for silence, for people not to tell anyone else who he is, um, before he, but here he sends this man to go and tell Jesus what he has done. And so, again, I ask the question, why all of a sudden is there a shift in what Jesus is doing here? And one of the reasons, I think, is because they were a region um, where the Gentiles live. This is no longer a Jewish-dominated area. Um, one of the ways we know that is they were raising pigs. Um, Jews don't associate with pigs. They don't eat pigs. They can't be anywhere near them. And so that's how, one of the ways we know that. And so there was really no danger of what would happen with the Jews of them running off with an unintended version of what the Messiah was supposed to do. And also... <clears throat> It seems like this demon-possessed man really understood who Jesus was. He understood his mission and his purpose, and so he was sent to tell others. And so he goes out and proclaims. He goes and tells. And there was a couple of interesting things here. Just, I think it will be helpful. We just saw the disciples asking, who is Jesus? But this guy knows who Jesus is. The disciples seem to be a little confused on who Jesus is, so they haven't been sent out to proclaim or to preach about Jesus yet. We're going to see that in chapter 6. But this man is already sent to proclaim who Jesus is. The disciples accuse Jesus of being merciless on the boat, right? We're going to die, don't you care? Give us some mercy. But this man has experienced and tells of Jesus' mercy. The disciples have seemed to have forgotten all they have seen and all they have experienced with Jesus. <clears throat> but this man understands and is moved to proclaim the good news to others. And we've been talking throughout Mark <clears throat> about what it looks like to be a disciple. And it's often not the people you would expect. It's not the religious leaders right? He calls fishermen, he calls the tax collector. Here we have this guy, and in this case, it isn't even the disciples who act like followers of Jesus, but the man who was demon-possessed. Jesus again and again reiterates that he has come to save those who will receive him, regardless of what society thinks about them. No matter what their position is, no matter how the world views them, he has come to save sinners. As we kind of pull all of this together, this is where <clears throat> it's going to get really practical because the question I had all week as I was reading this story is, um, obviously we can see from these that Jesus has a lot of power. And obviously Jesus can save us. So how do we trust in Jesus' power? Right? How do we actually do that? And I think it's first important to understand that for in our lives, it's really our sin that creates the chaos. <clears throat> Nature technically is out of control. We have natural disasters because the world is broken by sin. 
right? The world is groaning because of sin. Excuse me for a second. I think some other people have also experienced that there's some allergy that has gone crazy over the weekend, and so I think it's hitting me this morning also. So nature is out of control because of sin. The world is completely broken. But in our lives, right, sin manifests itself sometimes in selfishness. I deserve to get what I want or to do what I want. And if we're all trying to get what we want and do what we want, at some point that's going to clash with other people because they don't want the same things as we want. So we're going to clash because of sin. Or sometimes it's self-sufficiency, right? I can do this on my own. I can figure this out. I'm smart enough. I'm talented enough. I have enough resources that I can do this, which in my experience usually leads to, oh, I really can't do this. I'm in trouble. I'm frustrated. I'm exhausted. I need help. And so Jesus came not just to calm storms and to cast out demons, but to bring peace to bring calm in the chaos of our lives. Because instead of coming to rescue us like a superhero, which I think is what the disciples wanted on the boat, right? We just need somebody who can stop the wind or lift the boat out of the water or keep us safe or keep us from drowning. And when I think about just kind of the concept of superhero, they always show up when there's trouble to rescue somebody. But they never really deal with like the things behind what's causing trouble. It's just kind of, hey, we'll just save you over and over and over and over again. I guess that's job security. I don't really know. But I don't think you get paid to be a superhero last time I checked. So, but that's kind of what they're thinking is we want you just to be a superhero who just comes every time we're in trouble. But that's not what he came. He actually came to solve the problem on a fundamental level. He came to solve the problem and the chaos of sin. He came to change the hearts of men and women to be able to trust in him. And he demonstrated that by conquering life and death. He lived a perfect life with no sin. And yes, in his life, there was still chaos around him. It wasn't a calm, peaceful time necessarily in his life as well. But he was able to face that because the Father was with him. And so he went to the cross in a crazy, chaotic process, and he sacrificed himself to deal with the consequences of sin. And then he rose to life, conquering sin and death, and opening the door for us to have salvation, to deal with our sin and to be able to be connected to the Father. So that even when we experience chaos, we can handle it because Jesus is with us. We are not on our own. And so that's the big picture of what we're dealing with in chaos and all of these situations is it's all dealt with in the problem of sin. But I'm going to give you some more, several more specific things. I think there's five. Um, if I count wrong, that's okay. But there's about five of these. So this is how we trust in Jesus. And the first one is to have faith, right? There may not be ironclad evidence to believe that God is real and that Jesus is real and that he died for you, but I think there is enough for people to understand there's something bigger going on in the world than what we think. So the question I have for us on that one is the same as the question to the disciples. Why do you still have no faith? 
What is keeping you from believing? What is keeping you from trusting? What is keeping you from taking the next step? Whether that's to become a believer in Christ or to trust in Him more or to give more things over to Him or to follow Him where He's leading you. Why do you still have no faith? We also need to trust in His power. Right? He brings calm to the storm. He has power over the natural world. He brings calm to the chaos over the man's life as he was demon-possessed. He has power over the supernatural world. And that pretty much covers, I think, anything that we are going to deal with in our lives. It's going to be in the natural world or the supernatural world, and he's got both of those covered. So he has power for your situation, whatever it might be. He is powerful enough to step into it. Next is to remember that He is with you. You are not alone in this. Jesus is with you. And if you're here this morning and you're listening this morning and you're not a believer and you feel like you're in this life alone, there is hope. There is an answer. You never have to be alone again. You just have to trust in Jesus and what we just said, that you are a sinner and that he died on the cross for your sins to give you life. And you can just trust in that and then you will not be alone again. But for us, we need to remember that God is with us at all times. And then we need to rest in him. We can rest in him because he is powerful, because he is with us, we can rest now, I don't think we have to go as extreme as Jesus was doing and just kind of sleep through everything and trust that everything's going to work out. I think he calls us to a little bit more than that. But we don't have to freak out like the disciples were doing. Because why, why could Jesus actually rest in the chaos? Why was Jesus okay when he was in the boat? Well, he knew that God was sovereign. He knew that he was and is the king. He knew that he is ruling. He knew that God's plan could not be stopped. So as long as Jesus was following God's plan, he was going to be okay. And the same is true for us. As long as we're following God's plan, we are going to be okay. So what we need to remember is that we are not in control. And I think, if I'm really honest with you, if we could figure that one out, almost all of our other problems would probably go away. Because usually it's our desire to be in control, to control a situation, to control someone else, to control what's going on in the world that really gets us frustrated and upset and off track. So we need to remember that God is in control and so we can let go. We also need to remember that the people we're dealing with are also not in control, right? That our bosses, our employers, our friends, coworkers, neighbors, they're not in control either. And the situation that we're in is not in control. Only God is in control of what is happening. And next we need to fear or worship the right thing. The disciples were afraid of the storm, but when Jesus showed up and calmed the storm, all of a sudden they were afraid of Jesus and his power. 
The people in the story feared Jesus because they thought he could cause them harm or do damage to their livelihood. But the demon-possessed man worshipped Jesus because he experienced and believed in his mercy and his grace. And that belief and worship led him to proclaim the name of Jesus to all who would listen. He worshipped Jesus because of his power that changed his life forever. And so let us proclaim the name of Jesus and his power first to ourselves Right, to remind ourselves that He is powerful, that He did give us salvation, that He is in control over the world, that He can step into any situation that we're dealing with and immediately solve the problem. What He really wants is for us to trust in Him, and sometimes that takes a little while. It takes a little while, at least for me, to get it sometimes. And so that means some struggle and hard times to learn to rely on Him. And so we not only proclaim that to ourselves, but we also proclaim it to all who would listen, to all those around us who would listen, because He is the only one who could bring calm to the chaos of life, which I think is a message that a lot of people around us would love to hear right now, is there can be calm in the chaos in the midst of everything that's going on, of frustration and exhaustion and a changing situation and a news feed that just kind of constantly keeps going on and on and on and on and on, that there can be calm, there can be peace, there can be rest. And it doesn't come from us figuring things out or even getting smarter. It comes from us trusting in the one who who has control, who has power over all of these other things. And so it's as we trust in Jesus that we can rest. We can have calm in the chaos. We guys pray with me this morning. God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for a chance, even in these stories, just to hear and to see your power and how it manifests itself, that the, the natural world, the storm, is not more powerful than Jesus. Or the demon possession, those are not more powerful than Jesus. That he is more powerful than anything. And that sometimes even his power can be scary because we don't know what he will do. We don't know what actually what he's capable of. And it takes things out of our hands and puts them in his. But I, I pray that we would realize that's actually exactly what we need. We don't need to be in control. We don't need to fight things on our own. But we need to surrender and give things over to the one who can fight them for us. Who with a, a couple of words can calm the storm. Can make things right. Can calm our anxious minds and hearts can cure our addictions, can get rid of our anger, can give us hope and joy and rest and strength. So I pray that we would trust in Him. We would see His power and His mercy and His grace demonstrated on the cross that changed everything. That believing in Him and trusting in Him and relying on Him will change everything in our lives. 
that he is not a, a superhero that just shows up when we need help. But he deals with the real issue. He's <laughs> solving problems on a systemic level, including with us and our hearts. And he's not some thing that came and, and disappeared or anything like that, but he is still alive. He is still acting. He is still working. He is our living hope. He's the ones that we look to that is still ruling, still guiding, still active in the world. So help us trust in him and rely on his power. In your name I pray. Amen.